They do things like ask Darius Geis if he's gay and if his mom's a whore. And they try to throw people on. They think they're so cool. Well, fuck you. Now you don't get to interview. I want to talk a lot, um, as much as we can, or as much as there is to talk about. I'm obviously, as we welcome you to this 483rd episode of Unscripted, we don't have a lot of physical games to talk about, obviously, unless you want to talk about uh, uh, all uh, all elite wrestling is still going on, uh, but in front of empty houses. I just found out today that the Korean baseball organization is is ongoing. They have started but they're doing it with empty houses and everybody in uniform wearing masks to protect themselves during this COVID-19 pandemic. But in this 483rd episode, and I will get into my plea for you to subscribe, but let's hold off on that for a few minutes. I want to get started, and I found this fascinating. You know, as, as, uh, I don't know, what is it, about a month ago, was it, when Ovechkin... uh, broke the 700 goal sure, barrier yeah. and he's got when he broke that 100 excuse me the 700 goal barrier of all time goals scored in the National Hockey League at 34 years old both Chris and I believe that ultimately Ovechkin will score the 191 goals to surpass the great one in that one category in regard to all-time goals scored we both think Ovechkin if he stays healthy and they don't have you know, uh, every year a COVID-19 shutdown. Um, I'm just making a joke there, folks. I know how serious it is. Lighten up. But if Ovechkin is given the fair chance and he stays healthy, he will, we both believe, he will eclipse eclipse Mr. Gretzky's all-time goal-scoring record, which, what, off the top of my head is, what, 900 and... If it's 191 from 700, so it's 991 goals. Yeah, so 800, 891 Whatever. My my math is terrible. Um, I have to have everybody do my taxes. I'd be in jail if I didn't. Um, but I want to take a look on this 483rd episode of our little program. I will go through all five. I will have Chris comment. He will have his own comments. But I'm going to dedicate a lot of this episode to news and notes in regard to the National Hockey League, in regard to five unbreakable non-Gretzky records. These are five records in the National Hockey League that Mr. Gretzky does not currently hold. Number five on the list, you remember this guy, especially if you're a Vancouver Canuck fan or a Los Angeles King fan, but Davey Tiger Williams, lengthy time in the sin bin, Williams racked up an NHL record 3,971 penalty minutes, more than 66 hours of penalties during his career, which lasted from 1974 to 1988. I think it's safe to say that Tiger Williams' record of 3,971 penalty minutes is safe. Oh, yeah, it'll never be broken because just that we don't have those goons like that anymore. 
But, I mean, I can't believe he didn't come back for another season or at least try to play a few more games and get 4,000. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're I mean, that close. Come on, man. I hate I when mean, people are that close and they don't finish it You're off. 29 minutes from four grand in penalties. Yeah, he's like six, come on six and, fights away. Yeah, like, beat the crap out of somebody the yeah. first five games of the year and you're done. Yeah. yeah. Number four, um, you know, I never really realized this, to be honest with you. And I think, obviously, a lot of it had to do with uh, Jock Lemaire's and his neutral zone uh trap defensive scheme during his great run as the head coach of the New Jersey Devils. But one of the benefactors of that neutral zone trap system or whatever you want to call it that his coach used, Martin Brodeur's record of 125 career shutouts, besting Terry Sawchuck's previous mark by 22 shutouts, Martin Brodeur's record of 125 career shutouts for a goalie, obviously, in my opinion, will never be broken again. That's a hard one to predict. Um, it's probably okay. I mean, we could see some guy who comes out and just has the technique that goes to another level. I'm not all that happy with goalie technique these days. Yeah, they have bigger equipment and they're bigger guys, uh, which is a big part of it. But, uh, I mean... I think it's so easy to beat them with lateral movement. And so because they're all about now, they figure that I think the theory is that, well, we're just going to have big guys with big equipment who square themselves to the puck. So it's almost impossible to get it by them. And we don't see that same. We don't see the Dominic Hasek or the Grand Fears anymore. Yeah. You know, if you basically, if you would just pass it across really fast and then bang it in, their lateral movement is so slow to me that it just uh, I think it's an easy way to score on them so if you get if you get someone who has the modern technique mixed with the agility and the lateral movement uh, I could see a guy some coming along someday that would beat those I in person I, I personally I think that could happen maybe not sure well we'll see um, Martin Brodeur again has the record of 125 career shutouts and that's better by 22 second place on this list Terry Sawchuk with 103 career shutouts. Number three on what I believe to be five unbreakable non-Wayne Gretzky records from the National Hockey League. Goalie Glenn Hall. Um, I don't know if he's any relation to our buddy Ryan Hall, but Glenn Hall, his consecutive games record, the former Red Wing, Blackhawk, and St. Louis Blue netminder, authored a mind-blowing 502 consecutive regular season games, all of which he started and completed from October 1955 until November 1962. Including playoff games, Hall played in 551 straight games. Yeah, that'll never come close to being broken because, you know, you look at, if anything, the game's going the other way. You look at the Oilers this year with Mike Smith and uh, Miko Koskinen literally splitting at 50-50 and playing the same number of games. And so, yeah, it, it's like when you see baseball teams from 100 years ago and some pitcher played complete games, like yeah. 30 games in a row. You just don't see it anymore. The most amazing thing about Glenn Hall was, you know how some people get really nervous and, you know, you have to go on stage or something like that. He was so nervous about playing games, he would just puke all the time. Really? He had to... He huh. would. Be, he would keep a bucket wherever they could. Get. I don't know if it like during play if he kept it in the net or what. Or I mean, during practice he have it beside the net. But he had to have a bucket there all the time because he just puke all the time because he was so nervous. Wow. So of all people, yeah, 
that could have set the record. Yeah. It's the guy that had the hardest time getting through a game. And the weakest stomach, yeah. obviously. It's amazing that that of all people it was him. So good for him. Like that I, that must have been tough. You know, I find this funny. And I and I go back to Brett Favre in this regard. When they say Brett Favre played in 197 consecutive regular season games, but then you include the playoff games, it's the the number is 221. That's bullshit, guys. Come on. This guy, meaning Glenn Hall, Mr. Hall, his number should be 551 straight games. Regular season, uh, postseason combined, because I just find that ridiculous. 502 consecutive regular season games, but the number is 551 if you include the playoff games. You know what, guys? Can you imagine? Why I, I don't understand why people don't include the playoff games because the, the, the playoff games are played at at a much higher level, much more intensity, much more physicality, and but they don't include those. I think that is just ridiculous. Brett Favre's number should be 221 consecutive games played as a quarterback in the NFL, and Mr. Glenn Hall's should be 551 consecutive games played, no questions asked. Not the caveat, it's 502 because, you know, the other 49 games were playoff games. Bullshit. And the most impressive thing to me about this in regard to Glenn Hall, every game he started, every game he finished. That's amazing. That is amazing. And he did it probably without a goalie mask on. I mean, I forget. think about it. 55 through 62, yeah. I'm thinking he probably didn't have a mask on. I don't know for sure, but my God. To be a goalie at the National Hockey League level for 551 straight games, that's just incomprehensible to me. Number two on my list of the five unbreakable non-Wayne Gretzky records, how about this one? I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell. Timu Solani's insane rookie goal production. In his rookie season of 1993 as a member of the Winnipeg Jets, Solani scored an astounding 76 goals, besting the previous mark held by Islander star when he was a rookie, Mike Bossy. Bossy's record was 53 when he did it in his rookie season. Solani beats him by 23 goals. Timu Solani scored an, ast- an astounding 76 goals in his rookie season of 1993 <laughs> for the w- then Winnipeg Jets, who are now, of course, the Phoenix or Arizona Coyotes. I know they've been reincarnated, but they were gone for a number of years. But the first time around in that old barn in Winnipeg, Timu Solani scores 76 goals as a rookie. Oh my God, that will never get broken. Never. Oh, never. Not never. even. Not even. No. No chance at all. No one. No one is even going to. I don't think anybody even gets to 53, which was the previous record held by Bossy. Oh yeah. If, I mean, if Drysaddle and McDavid. Can't even come close to that in their prime. Right. What's a rookie going to do? Yeah, good luck. And of course, number one, we've talked about this one, but you have to include it when you talk about five unbreakable non-Wayne Gretzky records. Nobody is ever going to beat the Pocket Rockets' 11 (laughs) Stanley Cup wins. No chance. Never happen. As we welcome you to this 483rd episode of Unscripted, we've got a couple other things to talk about in the National Hockey League. It's funny... Um, kind of a um, old school versus new school mentality in regard to how some of the players in the National Hockey League are feeling about how to handle the rest of the NHL season. 
if the league resumes games again after this pandemic. Um, I know, and Chris had talked about it in our first episode today, episode 481, Chris had mentioned that Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, and his staff are daily going over different scenarios as to when and if we can resume this 2019-2020 National Hockey League season. And a lot of it obviously depends on the World Health Organization and individual countries' uh, health uh, specialists and and whatever have you. Um, I know that there are some leagues in the Far East that have restarted their games. The Korean Baseball Organization, I've mentioned that twice already today, they have restarted or opened their baseball season, but in front of empty houses and with masks on. Um, But obviously this pandemic hit earlier in the Far East and came West. Um, But it's funny when you see the old guard, if you will, and it's funny when you, you know, we still call him Sid the Kid, but Sidney Crosby's been around for so damn long that he's now considered a gray beard in the National Hockey League. But you've got guys like Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin saying that they feel that the season, if the season were to start again, they would start by going straight to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then you've got this next generation, this next millennium of players, the younger guns, if you will, superstars like Connor McDavid. And I guess Marc-Andre Fleury isn't that young because he just turned 36. But guys like Connor McDavid and Marc-Andre Fleury are going the exact opposite. They don't think that going straight to the playoffs is wise. They're of the belief that some sort of tune-up would be needed. And I asked Chris, who knows a lot more about the National Hockey League than I do, and it would probably be a good a good question to ask our Vancouver bureau chief, or if Ryan Hall would chime in, or would Greg ch- chime in, which way would you guys be leaning? Would you, if the National Hockey League gets the green light to proceed at some time, would you go by the way of the feeling of of Sid the Kid and Alex Ovechkin that they feel that if the season were to start again, they'd like to see it go right to the Stanley Cup playoffs, whereas you've got younger generation guys like Connor McDavid, who is obviously the superstar of the league, but Connor McDavid and Marc-Andre Fleury, they believe that it would be wise to have some sort of tune-up before you got right smack dab in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah. I for sure would like to see a tune-up. I mean, you also want to even out the number of games that the teams have played ideally. Uh, And so, yeah, I I mean, the Stanley Cup playoffs are the most intense thing emotionally, physically. They're unbelievably draining for everybody involved. And to go right to that cold would just be ridiculous, I think. I would like to see... Um, it'd be warmed up a bit. And also, I mean, we have to decide what we're doing with the whole playoff scenario. I've heard talk that they might have 24 teams make the playoffs. Because, really? again, mathematically, only the Red Wings are eliminated. So as long as the Red Wings can't win the Cup, because if they get back in, that would piss me off. But um, And really, there's some that essentially are eliminated. So I don't know what the cutoff is, but they should have that in mind when they play a few games. But they need to play a few games and, and get a bit of a warm-up in there because... Going cold straight to the playoffs, I don't like it at all. It's nice to see that old guys can be lazy, even if they're professional athletes, but uh, I totally agree with Crosby and Ovechkin uh, here. I, I totally agree with Connor and those younger guys. 
uh, I definitely want to see a warm up and, and build some anticipation and and make sure that the product that we get, it's nice that they've had a nice rest. So they should be pretty fresh still, even if they have to play a few handful of games. Uh, but they should be nice and fresh for the playoffs. But we don't want to be that fresh that we're just completely rusty. Uh, no, we have to have some games first. That's a no brainer for me. All right. Um, we uh, are in the middle of episode number 483 of Unscripted. As always, we thank you for being a part and hope that you continue to do so. Um, I want to switch gears real quick to the National Football League. We won't dedicate a lot of time to the National Football League because we dedicated a whole episode to free agent frenzy when we got together last week. But since Chris and I have been together, there has been a notable signing in the National Football League, and it's really going to seem weird next year when the New England Patriots open up whenever they decide or when they get the green light to to proceed with the it would be the 2020 2021 season um but it'll be really weird to see the New England Patriots suit up next year without Tom Brady mm-hmm. taking snaps of center wearing number 12 in Foxborough Massachusetts as Tom has decided to sign a two-year 60 million to, and with incentives but potentially the contract is worth million if he meets all incentives. But Tom Brady playing in South Florida, well, actually Central Florida, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is really going to be weird. Um, I know that I think that, well, I don't know this, but let me share my opinion, is that I believe that after 20 years together, Brady and Belichick just wore out. They got tired of each other. I believe that Tom Brady wanted to go with a... a, uh, quarterback kind of a quarterback coach kind of like in regard to a guy that knows how to handle meaning coach Bruce Arians knows how to work with older established quarterbacks that will work with Tom Brady instead of you know seemingly smashing things down Tom Brady's throat because I'm Bill Belichick and you're not go screw yourself um but I think the big thing Chris and I'd really like your comments on this is change of scenery uh, easier to work with Arians than Belichick for sure. He's going to be playing in a tax-free state, so there's going to be more money in Tommy and Jigel's pocket, Giselle's pocket. But I think a, a big underlying factor here has got to be that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and this is really funny to say, but it's the truth, I swear to God. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have more offensive weapons right now than the New England Patriots do, and I think that was something that was quite attractive to the now 42-year-old Tom Brady. Yeah, I'm kind of sad that Tom Brady's getting to go to such a good offense where even Jameis was able to lead the league in passing yards, right. even with all those picks. So, I, you know what? I mean, other than the only other thing besides the obvious, which is that Tom wants to set his own legacy and a lot of people say, oh, you're nothing without Belichick and the Patriots— other than that, the only other thing I can think of why he'd be mad would be, I, I mean, to a degree, Belichick, but I mean, he gotta be, he's got to be used to that by now. Uh, but I mean, New England gave him nothing this year for weapons. Right. Those receivers were, other than Edelman, who wasn't even anything special, man, like yeah. those guys, like Enkeel, Harry, and all these guys, man, were they bad. Like, I have tiny hands, and I'd, I'd, I would actually be willing to try and have a football catching contest against some of those guys they were so bad and I can understand that he was annoyed that like hey you got to give me something to to throw to there 
Uh, and I mean, they did get Antonio Brown, but that lasted one game. And then, and then they got that other guy too. And then he got Josh Gordon and then he got suspended yeah, again. So they tried. They guys tried, that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, it's funny because uh, Bruce Arians this week came out and said that Antonio Brown is not a fit for our locker room, yeah. which was great. And yeah, but you're right. Bruce Arians loves working with older quarterbacks. He's got to be just loving his decision to come out of retirement right now. Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans have got to be excited. But yeah, and, and obviously Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. OJ uh, OJ uh, Howard. Howard yeah. Even Cameron Brait, their excellent backup tight end out of Harvard. He's uh, he, he would be the starting uh, excellent tight end on pretty much any other team. So there's a lot of weapons there. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got to be happy. Chris Godwin said that he'd be willing to give up his number 12 for Tom if he wants to have it, which is not surprising. You know, Mike Evans and all these younger guys are just like, this is surreal. Like, Tom Brady's going to throw us passes? Because for them, yeah, you know, they like he's been playing for the Patriots since they were born, yeah. right? Like, literally. Right. And, and so it's crazy that, like, we get to play with Tom Brady. So I still have no idea how it's going to go, even with a great coach and a pretty solid team and great offensive weapons. Even with all that... Tom Brady's 42. I know everyone thinks he's ageless and he's going to play great at 50, but he's not. Sorry, he's just not. And I and again, he's going out of his comfort zone, so I, I you know, you want to give him credit for that, but man, I mean, just purely on his own is he going to play great at 42? I I I am not sold on that, but I mean, he's put himself in a great situation. He really has. So, you know, he gets to play in a in a in a very offensive is it, uh, is NFC it, South. Is it safe to say that the first year of Brady in Tampa will be indicative of where his skill set is? He'll be excited for the new atmosphere and everything that we've just talked about. But if he struggles in his first year, I don't think it's going to get any better in the second year, for sure, because then he'll be 43 and 44 and then on to 45. The first year, and it's only a two-year deal, but uh, the first year is going to be really indicative as to truly where Tom Brady's skills are right now. Yeah, I mean, I just there's a good chance he could be completely exposed as, I mean, a lot of people have referred to him as a overrated system quarterback, mm-hmm. right? And that's what you call him. I mean, he's the master of the 10 or 12-yard crossing route pass and just putting it right in there. Yeah, he's so good at that, throwing the ball to James White. Like, he's he's so good at that type of thing. He's he's accurate, like, like no question. At least, I mean, he has been. Uh, but he's he's rarely dominated the league in his own stats. I mean, the 16-0 and 0 team, he was doing really well. But he's rarely been like a Drew Brees or a Peyton Manning or even a Brett Favre or something like that, where he's just, he is just single-handedly dominating and, and carrying the team. He always has great, he's always, he has always had great coaching. Uh, whenever he's had success, he's had great defenses and uh, a great system and and great offensive lines and well, great offensive yeah. line coaching so i don't know this is it's interesting i've always thought that if he goes anywhere else he'll get exposed especially at 42 but i mean he's picked a good situation so it could help him i don't know it's this is the most surreal signing i've ever seen i just can't picture tom brady playing somewhere else yeah. it's just he's the patriots and well now yeah. now patriots fans are going to get the feel like when you see brett Favre. Uh, dress out in a Viking uniform. Well, not that bad because there, there, there's no rivalry between the Patriots and the well, Bucks. But no, I get. That. But I know, but, but it'll just still to seem see, weird to see your franchise quarterback in somebody else's jersey. It's going to be freaking weird. Does Tampa play New England this year? Probably not. But I mean, I, I could, don't know. We could check. That'd be interesting if they were in Foxborough or something. Oh, this year. I, yeah. I don't even know how. They, I assume they would just 
I don't think they would boo, although it is Boston, so they could be assholes. But uh, I, 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 I think, think the guy would. has the guy has brought them to nine Super Bowls and six Super Bowl championships. If they boo them, then they're just Philly North. Yeah, that's the right. The Boston fans. That's right. They they're Philly North. Yeah, that's it. Um, as we, again, uh, say hello and welcome you to this 483rd episode of our little program. I do have to make one mention in regard to Brady and the 16-0 and team that lost in the Super Bowl to the helmet guy. I guess that'd be about 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Could yeah. be somewhere in there. Oh, no, that was uh, that was after the 2007 season. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. But the 16-0 and season, um, Gronkowski had... Was Gronkowski there then? No. Uh, so, But you had Aaron Hernandez no. for sure then. And you had Randy Moss. Randy Moss, yeah. So you had two pretty good... You had Well, you had more weapons then than you certainly did this last year. Well, and Moss in, alone was more and weapons in, And in fairness, year. you know, there were a lot of, uh, you know, haters of the Patriots that were calling him check down Tommy. But part of that was because of what you just said. He had no weapons to go deep to. He had to go check down Charlie to James White underneath or whatever because he had nobody that could go deep. Edelman's not fast enough to get past defensive backs now. So, but he's always been like that, even in his prime. And I don't blame him because it worked. It was like, it's like when the devils had the trap and they had mastered it and you couldn't do anything against them with Belichick. For some reason, teams like to stubbornly play zone against his schemes. And you can't stop Bill Belichick with zone defenses. Right. You can't. And, and Tom Brady in his prime, like they'll just, they'll always find somebody open. They'll always convert third and long every mm. time. It's just like, you can't stop it. Like you... You have to, and as the Giants have shown twice in the Super Bowl, yeah. beating both times, you to defend against that system when you have a super accurate quarterback with a great Bill Belichick scheme, you have to play man to man well, and you have to pressure the quarterback without blitzing. Mm -hmm. That's the combination. That's now that's easier said than done. In right. fairness, well, for sure. But at least try it. Don't just sit back and like always oh, play zone and hope for the best. Well, you're gonna lose then. Fuck right. you. Like I mean. You know, watch some tape or something. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's uh, Brady. This is so unpredictable, but I, I'm shocked he went somewhere else. This is the weirdest signing I think I've ever seen. All right. Um, the other thing in the National Football League making news uh, since Chris and I got together last week was the announcement that Jane Goodell's husband is adamant that the National Football League draft will go on as scheduled April, end of April. I don't know the dates. doesn't matter. But he sent out a letter to all uh, 32 teams, all agents, all everybody, that the draft will go on as scheduled. It won't be held in Las Vegas. It'll be held in a studio with just team representatives. Now, there is a committee called the General Managers Something in the League. And the General Managers of the National Football League, their committee got together, and there was only one dissenter, dissenter, what does it say when one dissenting vote? Everybody else voted against this. They do not, the league general managers do not want this, this uh, draft to go on as scheduled in late April. The league general managers are not at all happy about this, but Goodell and the owners want this to proceed as scheduled in late April. Your opinion, good or bad? I want it to continue. And as we said last week, Look, it's 2020. Uh, if you want to have video of the guys, guess what? Every one of the top prospects and every other kid in the world has a 
phone. They yeah. have a laptop with oh. a webcam on it. They can Skype you. They can do all sorts of different things. You can see them. I never like seeing them that much anyway because I hate, hate, hate this about the NFL draft. It's the only draft that does this that I know of. Is that they call them right before they get announced. And then it cut, okay, and this guy's been drafted. And they cut to that kid in the in the crowd, and he's on the phone looking down and like, wow, why? Why would you, can we wait a few more seconds? And he should be sitting there and there should be suspense. And then we should see his reaction when his name gets called. He's already had the moment, you missed the moment. You see him talking on the phone. Watching people talk on the phone is the most annoying thing. Correct. And it's just, it's horrible. Like, I mean, I can't stand that. So they need to get rid of that anyway, but... No, there is no reason in 2020 we can't have the draft. We are seeing with companies all over the place in the world about how, oh, wait, it turns out we can actually have people work from home and teleconference and all this other stuff. We don't have to have so many meetings or so much travel. I mean, a lot of this is just an excuse to slack off and like, oh, go to a conference and like, oh, yeah, we're really working hard and whatever else. And so we're really seeing how we we are so well connected. The Internet's everywhere. Uh, Wi-Fi is everywhere. Everything's everywhere now. There's no reason to have to have so much uh, physical meetings, so so many physical meetings. And uh, you know what? So, I mean, the draft should be the same thing. There's no way that dr- the draft should have to have the traditional setup in extraordinary circumstances like this. I understand the general managers feel like they haven't gotten to interview people enough. If you want to interview guys, I don't think it would be that hard. Uh, you know, again... Skype, phone calls, yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can you can be interviewing. I don't see the problem here. And so, look, I mean, I think that the due diligence has been, uh, you know, should have been mostly done by now anyway. And you know what? I don't feel sorry for the general managers and their lack of interviews because when they have gotten to do interviews, they do things like ask Darius Geis if he's gay and if his <laughs> mom's a whore. And they try to throw people on. They think they're so cool. Well, fuck you. Now you don't get to interview. So I don't care. I have no sympathy for you for being such stupid assholes, pulling a Mike Babcock, thinking you're being all smart and and clever and you're just a dumb jock in a suit. Fuck you. No, now you don't get to interview. Let's see how you do now. One NBA note before we get out of here on this 483rd episode of Unscripted. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about terrible signings in the NFL too. Oh yeah, you want Oh yeah, okay, forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah. I want I do want to make the one NBA note. Sorry, sure. forgot about that. Yeah. Um worst free agent signing so far. We're about, what, two weeks in, whatever, mm. 10 days in on the worst free agent signing so far. Um, I have it as a battle between Melvin Gordon in Denver. Why? When you've got two running backs in Denver anyway. But the biggest one for me, and I'm happy that it's the Bears, Jimmy Graham in Chicago. Is there a worst free agent signing in your opinion so far, 10 days in or how many days it's in? Has there been a worse free agent signing so far than Jimmy Graham to the Bears for two years, sixteen million, and of that sixteen million, nine million <laughs> bucks of it is guaranteed. I think it's preposterous. I'm so happy it's the Bears. I just want your comments. Well, first of all, that's not even fair to compare that to other signings. That signing is so ridiculous. Even Melvin Gordon, that can't even come close. I don't mind the Melvin Gordon signing as much because, well, it's weird and totally unnecessary. If I was starting a team and I was able to get Melvin Gordon two years, eight million a year, I'd be very happy with that. So as a contract, it's fine. For a lot of teams, that would be a great signing, I think. But for the Broncos, it just doesn't make any sense. But no, the Jimmy Graham contract is so ridiculous. The guy can't move. Look, in fairness to Jimmy Graham, good for you. You continued your career for quite a few years, even without Drew Brees there. No one else has ever come back from double patellar tendon surgery, 
right? Pretty much anyone else, if you get that on one leg, you're done. Your career's over. He had it on both legs, and he continued his career for years. Never really the same. Had great years in New Orleans, but, uh, you know, he just, uh, he, he's done now. He can barely move, and it's totally ridiculous. The two-year portion, as we talked about, is ridiculous. The number of dollars per year is ridiculous. The number of guaranteed money is ridiculous. It's, it's so ludicrous. It's not even fair to try to make something else worse than that because it's too ridiculous. And it's just another example of Ryan Pace being incompetent and being stupid. Uh, the, uh, there are a few other ones that are really bad. Uh, and one of the other ones was by Ryan Pace as well, which was signing Robert Quinn five years, 70 million to come and play in a 3-4 defense again. Right. So Robert Quinn had some great years in the for the Rams when they were terrible. Right. Then they transitioned from a 4-3 to a 3-4 under Wade Phillips, and then he just wasn't a fit for that system. So they get rid of him, fine. He ends up in Dallas a couple years later in a 4-3, has a bit of a resurgence, does pretty well. Okay. Now he's going to the Bears for uh, $70 million. That's $14 million a year times five. He's turned 30 or turning 30, one of the two. He'll be 30 this year for the season. He's playing in a 3-4. I don't know why the Bears would sign him. I don't know why the Bears would sign him for that much money. I don't know why he'd want to play in Chicago. None of it makes any sense. It's just, but I mean, probably the two worst contracts are both by Ryan Pace. Yes, the Melvin Gordon thing doesn't make any sense. And then there's, of course, Bill O'Brien has just been, you know, on well, fire yeah, with, with he's his He's in stuff. his own class. He signed a guy, I had to look up this guy, that, what's his name, Eric Murray? So I saw that he was ranked as the 34th ranked safety in the one place I looked, free agent safety in the league. Not the number 34 safety in the league, the number 34 ranked free agent safety. So if you take all the safeties away who are on teams and you only take the safeties that are not on teams, he was ranked 34th in that group. And, and Bill O'Brien gives this unknown guy six, or no three times 20-something million, over $6 million a year for... Why? What? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it, it's just crazy. There's been other ones like, I mean, the Miami Dolphins made a lot of great signings, but to sign first round bust Eric Flowers three times 10, that makes no sense. There's been some other terrible ones too. Most of them weren't big names or anything, but Jimmy Graham is gotta be the worst one. Jimmy Graham should have retired. Like Jimmy Graham should, if it was anyone other than Ryan Pace, I'd actually feel bad that someone was taking his money, but... It's Ryan Pace, so I don't care. He deserves to lose his money. As Matt Damon says in Rounders, it's immoral to let a sucker keep his money, right? So, yeah, let's take all of Ryan Pace's money and make the Bears suck and the Lions still suck. And the Vikings, oh, that was the other one too, the Vikings, extend extending their mistake, throwing more, you know, bad money after bad money. Kirk Cousins has done enough to earn a few more years. I don't know. What else are you going to say about that? So, I mean... If the Packers can't win the division this year. <sighs> well, we're going to win the division. We're going to win the division. You better fucking win the division. We're going to win the division. Because I'm, that's I'm pathetic. In a division with Ryan Pace, Rick Spielman, and I don't even know who the general oh, uh, manager is. Bob Quinn, right? Bob, is that who I it is? I had to look it up. Bob I Quinn in Detroit. So when you've got Larry Moe and Curley as the other three general managers in your division, things are looking really good at 1265 Lombardi Avenue. Another thing real quick about butt chin. I was listening to our episode, our NFL episode on my walk the other day. And I do want to send my condolences to Randall Cobb. Um, I like Randall Cobb. He was a class guy for the Packers. I have no problem with Randall Cobb. No, let me finish. He was a class guy in Green Bay, very good in the locker room, very good in the community. 
and expect him expecting him to go in and replace DeAndre Hopkins, I think that's just uh, ill-advised. It's not fair to Cobb. Cobb will not last one year in Houston, and he'll be shown the door. Because how can you expect a guy that now is more associated with injury history than productivity on the field? And I again, I like Randall Cobb. He was the best man at Aaron Rodgers, or Aaron Rodgers was the best man at his wedding. Um, there's a lot of connectivity there, but I just don't see how this can be a win-win either way. And quite frankly, even though he's getting paid handsomely, I do feel bad for Randall Cobb because after one year, he will be done in Houston. I just have that feeling. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. And Randall Cobb also the most beautiful eyes in the NFL. Yes, absolutely. Man, yeah. what a, what a, what a pretty man, but, um, uh, <laughs> you know what though? We've sunk to new lows. <laughs> speaking of the Texans though, we, t- we, we hinted at this last week and this is going to be a problem. Not only are people already mad at yeah. Bill O'Brien for being so bad and trading away great players for no reason, right. but guess who's been on Twitter with cryptic tweets all week, oh, acting no. like he's not very happy. J.J. Watt. Uh, no, the second. No, that was, yeah, that's fair. The second choice that you would have behind him. Oh, uh, the quarterback. Deshaun uh, Watson. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah, lots of cryptic tweets about kind of, you know, well, I forget the exact wording, but basically why would I want to be here type yeah, thing and, yeah. and who am I playing with and whatever. So obviously Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be there anymore, and why would he? Why would he? Yeah. I mean, you already hang him out to dry with no O-line, right? Right, And now you take away the... His one the legitimate stu- deep threat. His stud receiver. Well, I mean, Will Fuller's a, a deep threat when he plays, which, you know, is, uh, you know, when he... when he Infrequent. Uh, yeah, when his hamstring isn't acting up, which is very rare. Uh, Kenny Stills, whatever. But I mean, so, no, I mean, why? Why would you want to be on such an obvious sinking ship? He's on the Titanic. Well, you know, it's funny. As obvious it is to us that Green Bay should win the NFC North next year, and I'm totally on board with that, I think it's almost as crystal clear that the Indianapolis Colts should win the AFC South this upcoming season with a division. Now, I know, I know uh, uh, Tennessee's in that division. They're improving. They're improving. They'd be second, in my opinion. Easily. Easily second. If everything goes right, they they could contend in the AFC South. But you have a division with Ryan Tannehill. Is he going to continue to play like he did at the end of last year? I don't think so. They've committed four more years to this guy. 118 million. 118 million. But not only that, you've got the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans in that division. As crystal clear to me and you that the Green Bay Packers should win the NFC North division, I think it's as crystal clear that the uh, Indianapolis Colts should win the AFC South whenever this next upcoming season starts. Yeah, they absolutely should, but at least the Titans could challenge them, whereas in the NFC North, I like I'm trying to what who would I don't even know who's the second best? Minnesota. Well it's not Detroit. Well I think it's Minnesota. Chicago. I think it's Chicago if Nick Colt Foles is the quarterback. And he will be, but is he going to Nick, he's better than Trubisky. Well, he's well. So am I. You and I are better than Trubisky. Exactly. Well, you are. You actually have quarterback experience. You're definitely better than Trubisky. You can complete a pass, but I mean, so my uh, hands aren't big enough. Well, they're way bigger than they're mine. Way bigger than yours. Way yeah. bigger than mine, right? Okay. So I, yeah. So, but uh, you Nick, and Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean Joe Burrow. Nick Foles. I like him. He, you know, he got coached up and and helped to win the Super Bowl there and the Philly Special and all that. But um, and he had the great year in 2013, 27 touchdowns, two picks. 
but he's had a lot of spotty or average well, no question or even poor play it, and he's it, an injury concern too yeah it's it's a really really weird t- like the thing is like ryan pace again geez i i'm not even trying to rag on the guy but he makes it so easy not only was the trade poor i thought they overpaid for him they should have you know they should have been getting the better pick in the deal but not only but i wouldn't even have made the trade what they should have done it would it should have been like cam newton where nobody really wants the contract you wait until nobody trades for him they cut him now you sign him to a deal you can live with you've already signed khalil mack yep. you can't afford to be reckless right. and just and just sign robert quinn 14 million a year when he's not a fit for your system sign jimmy graham when he can barely walk and then trade for nick Foles and pay him an inflated salary when he hasn't really proven too much over the long term you can't do all those things at once every one of them is a horrible mistake you combine them it's catastrophic I don't know. I, I Minnesota's lot of, lost a lot of personnel, so I have no idea how they're going to be. They could easily be better than the Bears this year. The Bears are not impressing me. Khalil Mack, of course, the one thing that should be good, he just disappeared last year for some reason. Even, even in the Oakland Khalil Mack Revenge Bowl game, he was completely invisible. Explain that yeah. one, because I can't. So the Bears are a mess. The Bears are an absolute mess, and if Nick Foles or Khalil Mack or someone doesn't step up and save them, they're going to be really, really bad this year. The NFC North is going to surprise people, I think, how bad it really is, other than the Packers, who should be pretty good, and it's just it's just inexcusable. The, the NFC North is a more of a marquee division, generally speaking, yeah. not including the Lions, but uh, it's, it's going to be bad this year, and the Green Bay Packers should really coast to a title and you know what if they do i hope that they actually don't get too soft because i think they're going to have an easy time a lot of the time and they need to play way better in the playoffs if they're going to do anything because that was terrible but uh, they're not going to be challenged very much from their own division so i hope they have some decent people to sharpen their knives against in a, you know in other play green bay is going to see a lot of top tier quarterbacks on the road next year mm. They're going to see Brady in, in uh, Tampa. Tampa. They're going to see Breeze in New Orleans. Mm. They're going to see Ryan, but at least Atlanta comes to Lambeau. They're going to see a lot of top. Now, Jimmy G, eh. Nah. Jimmy G, not so much, but obviously the 49ers don't need Jimmy G to play real well for them to win. I mean, they were up 10 points with six minutes to go in the Super Bowl, pissed it away. Um, yeah, but, but the Green Bay doesn't want to. Green Bay doesn't want to play San Francisco because they played them twice this Green year. Bay, and what Green Bay well. needs to do the best that they possibly can for this most simplistic reason, and that is home playoff games at Lambeau. That's what the Green Bay goal has got to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a run on this 483rd uh, episode. N- NBA yeah. note, you ahead? Oh yeah. Jeez, I keep missing things. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I did want to say um, the end of an era. We will see, regardless of. If the NBA season starts again or not, um, after make you know, and, and again, we've talked about this many times in regard to the Detroit Red Wings with the 25 years in a row, unbelievable accomplishment of making the postseason 25 years in a row, and they're paying the price for it now. We're going to see another lengthy streak this year end in the NBA, regardless again if they come back or not. But I did want to send congratulations out to the owner Peter Holt the general manager, R.C. Buford, the head coach, Greg Popovich, and the amazing run that the San Antonio Spurs have been on that will come to a conclusion this year. They will not see the playoffs this year 
for their 23rd consecutive year. They're four games back with only 17 games left. And obviously they're not probably going to get 17 games in. Um, and the Spurs aren't playing that, uh, weren't playing that well at the time when we shut her down. So again, congratulations to an unbelievable run that included five NBA championships, but the 22 year successive playoff run for the San Antonio Spurs will come to an end here in 2020. They will not make the postseason. And again, congratulations to Mr. Holt, who was an unbelievable owner of the Spurs. He was one of the few owners in sports that let his basketball people make basketball decisions. And he was in the in the background and he was around for five NBA championships. Congratulations, Greg Popovich. Great job. But the end of an era in San Antonio as after making the playoffs for 22 years in a row, um, the San Antonio Spurs' great streak will end this year again at 22. Now I'm ready to put a, <laughs> now I'm ready to put a wrap on this 483rd episode of Unscripted. But before we do, I again want to remind you this is very important to Chris and I and to the future of Unscripted. Um, we have now just completed our 483rd episode. We're 17 episodes away from 500, and we're asking for your help. If you can do a very simple thing for us, go on to one of the five of our social media avenues that takes subscriptions to to, uh, Unscripted. We truly appreciate if you'd go on, click on, uh, subscribe. It would mean a great deal to us because we need to improve our numbers here on Unscripted. We'd truly appreciate it if you went to our iTunes page, the Google page, the Google Play page, excuse me, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify, and subscribe to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We'd truly appreciate it. That is what we need to successfully continue our journey to 1,000 episodes, and we're now just 16 episodes away from being halfway there. So I thank you in advance for doing that. It, uh, you know, Again, during this time, we're looking for different... Uh, things to entertain us. I think Chris and I are entertaining in our own unique way, and we are asking and soliciting your help to go on to one of these five uh, social media avenues to subscribe to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. And follow us on Twitter, please. That'd be great. Yes, that would be great. Absolutely. And if you follow us on those, and if you leave comments, um, we can respond to those comments, and I guarantee you that we will do that. Um, Having said all that, For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.